Welcome to Ready to Mosh, a podcast all about rock, metal and alternative music. I'm Kev P. And I'm Gem G. Each episode will bring you the latest news, talk about new releases and review gigs and festivals that we've been to. There'll be a smattering of guest interviews and a lot of random chat. As well as podcasts, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Just search at Ready to Moshcast. Hello, welcome to Ready to Mosh. This is episode one of the podcast and let's go straight into some news. So the first news that we've got this week is that Download did an impromptu announcement last week for some new additions to the lineup for this year's festival. So following the withdrawal of Distillers and Pretty Reckless being announced the week before, the new additions are Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. They're going to headline the second stage now on the Friday night. Napalm Death have been added to the Saturday lineup for the Dogtooth stage. Chris Barris Band have been added on to the second stage for the Friday. Peng Shui have been added to the Avalanche stage on Friday and Animalia have also been added on to the Avalanche stage. They'll be first on on the Saturday. What are your thoughts on those new additions, Kev? So really happy to see Frank Carter back. I've seen him a few times and he's always puts on a great performance. I think he's covering um, Reading and Leeds this year as well. So that'll be quite interesting. We Obviously, we get to see him first. Napalm Death, Chris Barris, Peng Shui and Animalia I have never watched. I'm pretty pretty sure on that so i'll probably go and check out napalm death actually uh i feel like i feel like one of those bands that i should have checked out so many years ago but never got around to it yeah, same as you. Um, I'm really happy to see Frank Carter on the lineup again. I've seen him, I think, four times already, but always a good showman. So that'll be a good one to lead us into Kiss on the Friday night. Same as you, I haven't seen Napalm Death before, but I would like to see them because, yeah, they're, they're just a classic band, really, that you need to have ticked off the list. Chris Barris, I haven't seen either. Um, Peng Shui, I was planning to see them, I think, in 2019 when they were on, but I didn't manage to catch them. And Animalia are just a completely new band to me, so I'll give them a listen at some point in the next few weeks so following on from those announcements we've also had kicking valentina announced to replace thunder mother at stone dead festival in newer in august in terms of the announcement that we had for Hatebreed pulling out of bloodstock we are still awaiting a replacement for them being announced what is your news this week kev yeah, so exciting news this week. Uh, Cradle have announced a North American and a UK and European tour. Uh, it's going to be really good to see Cradle again. Been three, four years since I since I last saw them. That was at Download, um, but they always put on a great show. With it being an indoor one as well, it means that you get the benefit of a Cradle show uh, instead of what you get at a festival when they play early in the day. There's sun on them, and it just it just doesn't. They don't work quite as well in the day. So got some dates for those. So they're actually completely hammering October. There is dates for France, Luxembourg, Belgium. They're doing two dates in Holland. They're playing four dates in Germany, which has surprised me. I didn't realise they were that popular in Germany. Uh, Czech Republic, Austria, Italy, Switzerland, two in France, three in Spain, which is quite an interesting one. Didn't realise, again, that they'd be that popular there. And they're finishing off with three UK dates. So they're playing Bristol Marble Factory on the 27th of October, Rock City on the 28th, and we have tickets to that, so that's going to be a great show. And they are finishing the tour on the 29th of October at the Indigo at the O2. You looking forward to seeing them then? Absolutely, yeah. Like you would say, we've seen them at festivals a couple of times and they just don't have the same impact when they're outdoor in the sunlight. They need to be in a little dark room, really, to get the impact from them. So, yeah, looking forward to that one at the end of October and good timing for Halloween as well. Yeah, that will be a great show. Again, yeah, can't, can't wait to see them in a nice, smaller venue as opposed to a big outdoor festival. 
Okay, so moving on to the Rock the Week section of the podcast, this is where we look back in time at events and albums, singles, other music-related memories from this week in history. So starting off with a couple of events that happened. On the 4th of May 2000, this was when Metallica started their war with Napster, if anybody remembers that. Apparently they demanded that they cut off 335,000 users who Metallica claimed were illegally trading their songs. And another event to mention, this is on the 5th of May 1996. That year, Rage Against the Machine went to number one on the US album chart with Evil Empire. And that album also won them a Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance later on that year so moving on to the uk side of things now uh the top uk album that was number one was hybrid theory by linkin park absolutely incredible album not a track on there i would change right moving on to the uk side of things the number one album uh this week was hybrid theory by linkin park it was number one in 2004 in the uk rock album charts it's an album that I absolutely love. I wouldn't change anything about it. There's not a track I'd take out. It's completely unskippable. And it's opened so many doors for so many people. And the way that people kind of viewed and listened to music, it, it, it I think it just changed the whole thing. It was also a six times platinum album in the UK. And it went 12 times platinum in the US, which is an insane amount of purchases. I, I had the album. I remember getting it and... It just totally blew me away from the moment I listened to it. Jam? I love that album as well. It is one of my favourite albums of all time. I've still got my original copy that I bought. And like you said, it is unskippable. There isn't a track that I would want to miss if I listened to it. I'll just go all the way through. And it's one that I come back to time and time again. It's like a comfort blanket. It just suits every mood. So yeah, I love it. Yeah, probably my favourite um, Linkin Park album, I think. Yeah, definitely. Then moving on to the singles charts, the number one is, is kind of like a, a very different sort of mood. So the, the number one single in the UK was The Darkness with Love Is Only A Feeling. Very, very strange. It was their fifth release as a single, and it was the third of six UK rock chart number ones they've had, which I I, I didn't realise they, they'd had that many singles that did so well, to be honest. I can I can think of about three, including this one. So to hear that they five number ones is... didn't realise it was... they were that... they got that big. They did back in the day when that album was released. I remember it having a lot of singles. I think probably half of the album was singles, because it's not that big an album overall. I remember I did actually buy it, and I did quite like it. It was just something a bit different at the time and it's obviously got those 80s kind of hair metal vibes running through it yeah, as well. Yeah, J- Justin almost seemed like he wanted to be Freddie Mercury from what I remember. Yeah, I think he probably still does. <laughs> to be fair, I did see the Darkness Live supporting Hollywood Vampires a few years ago and he's still definitely got that showman vibe coming off him and another band that are at Download this year so I probably will check them out for a few songs if not the whole set. Yeah, they are on my list as well, just because I've never seen The Darkness. So I, I think they could be a fun kind of, especially mm. if the sun's out, they could be a fun sort of band to watch with a drink. Yeah, good fun Sunday afternoon watch. That one will be, I'm expecting, because they do put on a, a good show and they get the crowd going and they've got all those sing-along singles as well. Which day are they playing? They're on sun- I'm pretty sure it's Sunday before Steel Panther. That kind of makes sense, so it goes from them to Steel Panther. I, I think they would. I think both those and Steel Panther would have been best suited to the day with Kiss, though. Yeah. 
I do think that as well because it's that same kind of 80s metal vibrate, yeah, isn't exactly. it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it will be um, good to see The Darkness. Like I say, they were big back in the day, but I just didn't realise they were that big. Okay, so moving on to the new release section of the podcast. We've got one new release each this week that we're going to discuss. So Kev, what's your new release this week? Yeah, so I've been listening to Immutable by Meshuggah, and it is exactly what the album says. It's an immutable album. Really heavy Meshuggah album, as you kind of expect. They've really kind of evolved from some of their earlier stuff. It opens up with Broken and cog and it has got one of the best intros i've heard for a long time the drum beat is just so intense and it really sets up the album it's so it's such a, a such an effective way to do it and I, I absolutely love that track i can't stop listening to it that takes us into abysmal eye there's some more really heavy drums in there and along with the the guitar work you almost feel like you're kind of suffocating from the noise but in a good way it has it when you're listening to it with headphones on the album is such a strange kind of experience but it's really really good it moves on to like the shortening fuse that starts a real shift in the tempo through the album everything picks up there's a complete change in the in the speed of it and it really kind of goes goes through the gears and you can just feel the entire album just picking up and gaining weight and gaining a lot of momentum ligature then kind of halfway through really slows it back down so there's uh, a lot of slow more uh, kind of ambient tracks there just pulling it back a little bit uh, but it's really impressive and it's, I think it's, uh, it then moves into the, they move below, which is really haunting. And again, another great track on there. I'm, I'm not going to go through all the tracks, which is possibly one of the things that's wrong with this album. For some people, there are 13 tracks and it comes in at 66 minutes, which is quite long for a, a standard album. And, it is worth the time, you know, kind of just be patient with it. But yeah, it's a, a great album. I'm going to be listening to this a lot. And unfortunately, I've not seen Meshuggah before, but this is kind of one that's made me really want to watch them next time they're touring close to me or if they're touring and um, doing the festival circuit. But yeah, I, w- I will definitely be going to watch them. Uh, Jim, what have you been listening to this week? My new release I've been listening to this week is Obsidian by North Lane. Now, I've not really come across North Lane previously. They're one of those bands who I've seen on festival lineups, but for whatever reason, I've not watched them and I've obviously skipped through them on any festival playlists that I've listened to beforehand because they've just not been on my radar really at all. So firstly, I was really surprised that this is actually their sixth album. So from what I've read, this album is a lot more electronic. There's much more emphasis on kind of the techno vibes going through than their previous work. I've purposefully not listened to any of their previous stuff yet because I didn't want to go down the route of comparing it to that. So I've just listened to it as a standalone album, but I really love it. There are definitely a lot of those techno electronic vibes coming through it but there's still a lot of heavy metalcore guitars there's still a lot of kind of gurry vocals as it were the opening track is clarity and that starts with some quite what i would say almost twinkly electronic beats you definitely get a vibe of a 90s dance track coming through before the guitars kick in but it really works the lead single that they released last year echo chamber that's another of my favorite ones that's got a really catchy chorus it just gets stuck in your head and you can't help but nod along to it the other tracks i made a note of that stood out to me are is this a test 
Zen and the title track Obsidian. There's also one track on there, Nova, which is a slower track, more acoustic. At first, I wasn't sure if that really fit in with the rest of the album, but having listened to it a couple of times, I actually think it does. So it's around, I think it's track 10. It kind of slows down and then once that's finished, then get kind of kicked back in again with the louder songs. So yeah, overall, it's got some vibes of, I would say, and Shikari in there. There's some Prodigy vibes going through it as well. One track, and I can't remember off the top of my head now which one it was but that also reminded me a bit of Nine Inch Nails so I think it is one that you'd like Kev if you want to go and give it a listen yeah I, that sounds kind of straight up my street I, I'm a big fan of Nails Prodigy yeah that, that sounds quite sounds very different from what they've done before yeah I've, I've listened to North Lane, North Lane a lot in the past and that sounds so far removed from what they've done I'm, I'm really kind of intrigued by that yeah I know there's been a lot of comments to say that as you always get when a band changes its kind of root or its... What's the word? It's sound. When a band changes its sound, a lot of older fans who will turn around and say, oh, I don't like the way the direction the band's going. But I think change is a good thing anyway for any band because you'd get the same people complaining if a band returned the same album time and time again, wouldn't you? But yeah, I've always been a fan of the crossover between dance music and metal Anyway, stemming back to the Prodigy in the 90s, I remember listening to them on a 90s random dance album and just really loved it. So I've always loved that crossover mix anyway. So for me, it's definitely a really good album. I was marking it out of 10, probably go for a probably eight and a half. Oh, that's a high score. But yeah, I'm definitely going to now go back and check out their back catalogue and just see how it does compare to this. Just out of curiosity, and like you said about Michelle, keep an eye out for them touring or seeing if they're popping up at any festivals and check them out live as well. Excellent, and I think that's pretty much it for Rock the Week. Yeah. So on to the main section of this week's episode. As this is our first episode, we thought we would go back in time to the first time we did some other music related things. So we've called this, Do You Remember the First Time? So the first thing we're going to discuss is our first gig. So Kev, do you remember your first gig? Uh, No, I don't remember many gigs for many years because I'd never kept ticket stubs. I got too drunk and... I kind of remember going places, but never remembering who was there. I went to lots of gigs, but just really, really drank so, so much. Got in some states and never, <laughs> never really remembered what's happening. Do you um, have any idea who your first gig might have been? I think it was Placebo at Rock City in 96, I think it was. I think it would have been 96. And I, I, I'm sure it was 96 because it, they were they were playing Teenage Angst. Teenage Angst? Yeah. Yeah, Teenage Angst and... Oh, my mind's gone blank. Nancy Boy? Nancy Boy, yes. They played Nancy Boy. Yeah, so so they would have played they would have played those two. I definitely remember Teenage Angst being played, but I think that was my first gig. How about you? Well, my first gig, I can remember very clearly. It was Bon Jovi at Don Valley Stadium in Sheffield. Okay. And it was middle of June and I got the afternoon off school to go. My mum would have actually wrote a letter excusing me from school for the afternoon to go, which can't imagine happening these days, can you? How did that ever happen? I have no idea, but it happened. Maybe she lied, I don't know. But I went (laughs) anyway. So yeah, it was a big outdoor stadium gig with Bon Jovi, supported by Van Halen and 
Thunder and Bon Jovi at the time I think they still do this but they always have like a competition for a local band to open for them so the first band on that day I had to look this up because I didn't remember but they were called Crown of Thorns don't know if they're still going I don't believe I saw them so the first band I ever saw live was Thunder okay that's not a bad start Thunder Um, Van Halen supporting Bon Jovi I don't know I'm not comfortable with that well it happened but yeah they were they were both great well Thunder were as well all three bands were amazing um i remember it being a really hot day obviously in a stadium you've got no shelter or anything so sun was blasting down and i remember queuing for merch and a girl in front of us fainted from the heat so yeah that or was maybe fun. fainted from the prices that bon jovi charged for merch well it was cheap back then in the 90s <laughs> but yes yeah, so that was june 1995 my introduction to live music and I obviously from that day got the impression that all outdoor events were lovely and nice and warm and sunny. But the following year, I then also saw Bon Jovi at Milton Keynes Bowl and it howled down with rain all afternoon and night. So that was a good introduction to the future drown loads we've experienced. Definitely. So many questions about the Bon Jovi gig. So 95, would that have been around Crossroads? It was after Crossroads, actually the These Days tour. Okay. I thought, yeah, I thought these days was a little bit later than that. Okay, so no, they released, they did these days tours, both ninety five and ninety six, where I saw them were both these days. But they did do a lot of crossroads, obviously. Yeah, well, crossroads. Hits yeah, crossroads that. was a mm. compilation album. Yeah, kind of the greatest hits thing, which I remember actually, even though not really liking Bon Jovi, I remember I actually owned that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a huge Bon Jovi fan, but I did, I did get that back in the day. Yeah, I think everyone did, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a huge album. It was really, really big. So, I suppose next one. Do you remember your first festival? My first festival was Ozfest in 2001, also at Milton Keynes Bowl. That wasn't a rainy day. That was a very hot day. <laughs> was it? Was that a single day or was that a, a, a two day event? It was a single day. They had two stages, kind of a main stage and a second stage, but side by side. So they alternated the bands on each stage. So you didn't have to worry about there was clashes. No clashes. It was great. Perfect. Obviously headlined by Black Sabbath. Yep. And who else? Um... Who else were there? The who, do you, who do you remember seeing? Who do I remember seeing? I remember seeing Tall. Oh, heaven. Slipknot. <laughs> Amazing. Papa Roach. Yeah. Disturbed. Yeah. Amen. Oh. I believe Raging Speedhorn were there. And they they made it through the gig. <laughs> they made it through the gig. Can't remember anyone else off the top of my head on that one, but it was quite the lineup. That is a lineup. And Tall. considering you didn't have to worry about any clashes, it, you literally saw everyone that you wanted. That is, yeah, that is my kind of festival. That sounds amazing. I imagine Tool were fairly high up the gig. I think they were on before Black Sabbath. Yeah. I can't remember if someone else was on the second stage in between them, but I remember it was kind of dusky as Tool were on, so the sun was kind of going down behind them, so that looked quite cool. I'm going to try and think from who else you said. So Papa Roach were really big around that time. That was, yeah, the Infest tour. Their first album was out. Were they above or below Slipknot? I think they were below. Okay, because Slipknot 2001, I'm trying to think, was the remastered album out by them. I think it was just before Iowa. So, yeah, so it must have been. I, Iowa think. was, wasn't Iowa oh, around Iowa's 2005? Around, no, Iowa was, I saw them on the Iowa tour in 2002. Okay. So it was around that time. They were definitely still in the original red boiler suits. Orange. Orange boiler suits. <laughs> they looked red. It was a hot day. <laughs> I was red from the sunburn. <laughs> 
flip not red. So it would have been the original masks too? It would, yeah. And I do have some photos somewhere which I can dig out and pop on Instagram maybe to share. Okay, look forward to seeing those because I've not seen those either. So Kev, what was your first festival? First festival was also one that you attended which was Download 2004. Yes, I was there too, and we didn't know each other at that point. We didn't. Uh, we didn't know each other, and we saw most of the same bands. It was a much smaller event then. It was only three stages? Three stages, two days. Yeah, it was definitely two days. There was the main stage. I've got a feeling the second stage was the big tent. It was a big tent, yeah. And the third stage was round the back of the main stage. Mm, small tent. Yeah, which was a small tent. So compared to how Download is now, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, absolutely different. I think the maximum capacity then was around 50,000, 60,000. So, and it was all within the centre of the track. Yeah, so it was all within the centre of the track. I remember I only went for the day because I was actually going on holiday, I think the next day um, or a couple of days later. So I only, I only did the Sunday. The Sunday for me was absolutely amazing. Um, I got there nice and early, managed to make, make it in time for Breed 77, who opened. Ah, see, I missed them because we were still queuing to get in because security were very slow that day. Yeah, there was a lot of delays in security. Mm. Um, yeah, I made it in, saw Breed 77. I remember seeing hate breed um i think they were on the second stage which was one of the most insane kind of reactions from a crowd i've ever seen there were people climbing all the poles in the tent just kind of hanging off everywhere uh that was absolutely incredible atmosphere all the highlights that day were i feel like there were bands that i've i've saw that i can't remember who was the who was the shoot off of sepultura Soulfly. Soulfly. Yeah, so I saw Soulfly. They were really good. I remember seeing Slipknot for the first time, and they absolutely blew me away. They One of the best bands, I've, even to this day, I've ever seen live. Absolutely incredible. So much energy. Um, it was the original lineup. Everybody was still alive at that point. Just so, so much energy to it. And then after those were Corn. Mm. Um, who I, I'm a huge corn fan. I absolutely love corn. Um, now I've heard some people say that on that day they were incredible. I just thought they were so flat. What did you think? I felt the same. I'm not massive corn fan anyway, but yeah, I just was quite disappointed in their performance. And I remember that they were on late. They were delayed. And no, corn weren't delayed. Were they not. No. I remember there was there was a big gap. Was there a big um, while gap? they change while they change the. Um, the set's about. Yeah, they um, had to because Slayer got lost or delayed. So yeah, Slayer there was never a actually of, made it to the, to the festival. Yeah, so things got messed about. And I remember there being a big gap and just sitting and waiting. And then when fine, when Corn finally got on stage, yeah, was disappointed. Yeah, um, I, I thought the performance was really flat. Wasn't really impressed, um, and it, it kind of really hit me hard that after loving corn for so many years performance just wasn't there that of course there was a massive gap of it must have been about an hour hour and a half i think so i actually went to watch him in the second stage tent which i wish i'd done now. the gap because that did fill some of the time that we were waiting for metallica yeah i now i'm not a massive him fan but I, but I wish i'd have done that instead we were everybody we were all stood in there, there used to be an embankment to the side, to the left side of, um, as you're looking at the stage, we were stood kind of close-ish to the embankment, and the biggest bottle fight in history took place. I've never seen anything like it. There were 
thousands and thousands of bowls full of various liquids and stones and I stones do yeah get caught up in some of that and there are actually stones from the gravel around the edge of the track in bottles being thrown at one point because one came very close to my head yeah I, I do remember seeing a few uh, gravel ones and being covered in various liquids one of the other things i remember i'm um, just going back to slipknot there were a few things um that were thrown into the pits um so i I know um some people that were in the pits and one of the things that got thrown in there was a brick so really yeah um kind of like um big boulder shape big Mm. boulder um that they must have got from the back of the stage where it was all Mm. where everything kind of accumulated and somebody yeah somebody had just launched that into the middle of it i don't think anybody got too hurt but um that was yeah along along with that the the stones in the bottles that's just insane so I mean, as far as I know, everybody came out of that unscathed. But yeah, that I don't is... remember hearing any stories that people had any major injuries from. Stones. No, yeah, it's which is surprising considering the amount of stuff that was mm. being launched about. As I suppose, as everybody kind of got frustrated and bored. Yeah, what else do you do? Um, fill bottles and throw fill them. Bo- yeah. <laughs> so yeah, then there was the biggest wait, and eventually Metallica came out. And for me, it's a you had to be there moment. Definitely, yes, definitely glad I was there for that one. Yeah, so for anybody that doesn't know, Metallica's drummer Lars Ulrich never actually played the gig. He was, did he actually make the country? I think, I've got a feeling Metallica left him behind. I can't remember, to be honest, or was he ill en route on the plane? Well, I I thought he was ill before they Mm. got on the plane, or he was about to get on the plane to come over, and then was, and then just never made it, and was left um, I th- he might have gone into rehab. The rest of the band came over, but then I've also to get the replacements in. I kind of feel that he must have been here. I'm not sure now what the backstory was on that one. Yeah. So, so unless there were issues before they set off, but he, he must have already been here for the to, to be a delay because otherwise it's just a change of drummers. Yeah. And if I remember, James was going or the management were going around backstage saying, "Who wants to basically wants to drum for Metallica? Yeah, who can drum for who can Metallica? Drum for Metallica? Yeah. Who knows the is, songs and who can step in now? <laughs> which yeah, which kind of presented and kind of elevated godlike status to Joey Jordison. It did. Still one of my the greatest drummers I've ever seen. Yeah, definitely um, agree with that. And yeah, so he stepped in because Joey used to play in a Metallica covers band. So pretty much knew every single Metallica track. So he covered a lot. Lars's drum tech, yeah. I believe, did a couple of tracks. Um, and also, was it Slayer's drummer? It was Slayer's drummer. So they did turn up eventually, Slayer. Um, would it have been Dave Lombardo? I was going to say, I think it was I Dave Lombardo. I think it was Lombardo. Dave Lombardo. Did. I think yeah. Dave Lombardo covered. Yeah, and again, Dave Lombardo did... Well, he did. it's Dave Lombardo, isn't it? Exactly. So he did a great job. So yeah, so that was my first festival. It took me a long time to go back to another, purely because the, I, I don't think anybody really kind of stood out too much. Um, if I look back now and look at the listings, I've missed a lot of good opportunities. Same. But yeah, so that was my first festival. Okay, so moving on, what was your first album and or single? Talk about both if album you want. Album and or single. Album, my first album. So is this the first album I bought or the first album that I received? I would say received. For me, I'm going to discuss received because I was too young to purchase anything. Okay. So... I am going to say the first time I, when I really started getting into music, it would have been Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Very nice. Which is, I, I think that's quite a, a nice intro. 
which I knew about and got into because my best friend had got the album and I, I heard it and that was kind of like the day that I decided, yes, I love music <laughs> and th- this is the kind of music I love. And yeah, so not long after, I finally persuaded my mum to get me this for my birthday, which she did, and she didn't realise how offensive the lyrics were until... <laughs> She, so we we were decorating my bedroom, and I put the uh, Guns N' Roses album on, and she was quite quite shocked by what she was hearing. <laughs> did it not have a parental advisory sticker? I don't think it did back then. That before then, it was before the parental advisory wow, sticker. Wow, showing your age there. Yeah, it would have been eighty seven. Mm. I think around eighty seven. I got that. So, yeah, I think that was before the the advisory stickers came out. I think they were a 90s thing. Mm, I think they were, actually. First single, I genuinely can't remember what the first single was that I would have received or bought, but it was a long, long time ago. (laughs) Um, It it couldn't have been anything magnificent because it doesn't stand out. So, how about you? First album or single? Well, my first album is not as great as yours. My first actual album was Kylie Minogue's first album. (laughs) Knowing you, that doesn't surprise me. I was seven years old so you know it was a present for Christmas and it was on cassette and my first single was Jason Donovan Too Many Broken Hearts on seven inch final single that is painful but back in the day it was what you listened to when you were seven that's because you're older than me (laughs) Um, moving on from there my first rock album was Bon Jovi Keep the Faith I also had that That was on cassette as well, and I think I bought that myself. So I would have been probably around 10 or 11 when that came into my life. And then that led me on to Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith, Def Leppard. And so it went from there, and poor Kylie and Jason got discarded to the back of the cupboard. Mm. Just on the Bon Jovi thing, which was the one with the denim cover? Was that New Jersey? That was New Jersey. I had that. Ah, oh, that was older. That was probably that was late eighties, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was about eighty eight and slippery when wet. Which was before then. That was about eighty five or eighty six, I think. Yeah. So Guns and Roses. So Appetite for Destruction was the first. I think slippery when wet was the second thing. Mm. And then it would have probably been yeah, it would have been New Jersey and Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Um, yeah. So then it would have been interspersed with Maiden albums. I think because that was all on either cassette or vinyl. My first actual cd was meatloaf bat out of hell when i got my first cd player when i started backing up all my stuff to cd kind of things that i owned on tape or i've lost over the years i went through a phase of buying so much stuff um so when it went to cd it would have been things like terrorvision um i can't the name of the album escapes me now it was the big one with alice what's the matter on and how to make friends how and to influence make friends and influence people, people. That the was the silver one. and blue cover yes Swirly writing yes that was the one yeah, I think I had that actually as well. Yeah, so I had that Ugly Kid Joe. Yeah. America's Least Wanted. Uh, I remember picking that up. Um, and I went through kind of like a phase of just picking up all my old, the old albums that I'd had on cassette over the years and then just kind of upgrading to CD. So yeah, that was, that CD route kind of really mm. sort of took off. Yeah, I don't think I ever really went down that route because I think I went pretty much straight on to CDs after. I got Keep the Faith, I think. The following year, I got my CD player, so anything mm. new that came out then... Would have always I'd gone got straight to CD. on CD. I remember getting Aerosmith. It's the one with the cow on the cover. Oh, I cannot remember. I can't remember. I can see it. I can't remember the name. But it's got Love in an Elevator on it and that kind of is era. Got, is that around the time Walk with Wales? No, Walk with Wales a lot earlier. earlier. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was another of the first albums I got on CD. Bon Jovi these days would have been up there. 
Mm. And Guns N' Roses, I got Appetite for Destruction and Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Oh, and one, one a great album I got on CD, Rock in Rio. Ah. The, it was, I think it was about four CDs. It was, wasn't it? It was it massive. Was, huge. was it, it was, holographic? No. Nah, did it have like a special no, holographic I, I, cover? They may have done more than one cover then. Mm. The one I had, I think it was live pictures of the live yeah. performance um, on the front. But it, yeah, it was something like four CDs. Mm. Um, so, unless you were lucky like me in back in the days of the multi-changer. Wow, yes. <laughs> I had a three-CD multi-changer. I had a seven. Wow, get you. Mm, which ended up breaking because it just <laughs> they just weren't very well designed. Um, okay, so moving on from that, let's go. What was your first band T-shirt? My first band T-shirt was a Guns N' Roses one. Okay. It was bought by my sister's present, and it's got, I think it says something like Guns N' Roses World Tour 1992 on it. It's a white t-shirt, it's got all six band members, their photos on, um, and yeah, I've still got it now. Don't I'm, wear it very often, but it has got quite a few holes in it, but yeah. I was going to say, I've seen you wear that before, yeah. so yeah, I didn't realise that was your first that band t-shirt. That was my first band t-shirt, and I think around the same time I got a Bon Jovi t-shirt. There's a lot of Bon Jovi talk this episode. Yeah, very um, Bon Jovi heavy. But yeah, I had a Bon Jovi. I think it was a Keep the Faith t-shirt around a similar time. And I also bought a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. Would have been around that time as well. When I was on holiday in Scarborough, there was a random shop and it had band t-shirts in. So I remember buying a unofficial Guns N' Roses t-shirt from there as well. It was like a Jack Daniels label, but it had Guns N' Roses on it instead. I remember the I remember the tees. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, I do, I do remember that style, um, which is kind of similar to mine. Mm. So my first one was a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. Um, like you, it was black. I seem to recall it had guns to the side and rose. I think the roses, it was a, a skull with roses in the middle. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, kind skull of with image, roses yeah. in the middle and gun, the guns may have been on the sides. Yeah. And there's a picture of me somewhere wearing that. I'm sure I've got now. We'll have to dig so we'll it have out. To dig that we'll have out, to share get it. Get that on. Yeah. Um, a very, very embarrassing photo. But yeah, so we'll dig that out. We'll get that on Instagram, probably get that on Twitter, yeah. do we think? Yeah, I've um, got a few pictures from some of these memories that we're going to get shared yeah, on we'll, Instagram. Yeah, we'll put the first festival pictures up too. Yeah, cringing so at mine already. Oh, the clothes were so baggy. <laughs> oh, they were. Yeah, that kind of, that new metal vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Baggiest of baggy jeans, a chain, some studs. I didn't go, the, yeah, I didn't go the chain. I, I seem to remember having a kind of a Mohican going on. yeah. You didn't have a wallet chain? I never had a wallet chain. I don't think I did, actually. When I was Well, I did have one, but I didn't wear it at Ozfest. It's not in the picture. I've got a vague recollection. You might not have been allowed to wear them back in the day. There was when a you, thing yeah. about chain. chains. It was the chains and spikes, and spikes yeah. Dangerous because, weapons yeah, and all of that. Um, at a heavy metal festival, what, what else do people wear? Well. <laughs> it was the new metal period in the late, in no, early 2000s. What, what else would anybody wear? Ugh. <laughs> So it's time for our Ready to Mosh recommendation. This week, it's a band that we've seen four times now? Three times. Three times. So, so the, far. The, the, yeah, so far. So the fourth time, it will be um, at Download. And the first time we saw them was actually at the Download Pilot Festival. Yep, they opened the show. First live band we saw after the pandemic. It was during the pandemic. Or oh, during the pandemic, I should say, yeah. The first band that we'd seen live for about 18 months, though. Yep. 
Absolutely, yeah. Um, really blew us away and have been hooked on this band ever since. Um, so the band are Death Blooms. Paul Barrow's the uh, lead singer. Um, essentially, it's his band. It's very much a kind of Nine Inch Nails sort of setup. Paul Barrow is Death Blooms. He takes a lot of touring musicians with him. He's recently done a great run of headline shows. We attended the one in Nottingham. Yep, that was a great show. It was a small room in Rock City. If anyone knows Rock City, it's actually in the beta room, which is kind of on the middle floor. But yeah, it was an amazing show. Got to have a mosh. And prior to that, we also saw them supporting Trash Boat at Rescue Rooms. Yeah, we saw them at the rescue rooms. Again, absolutely fantastic to watch live. Can't recommend them enough to anybody. Paul is a really nice guy as well. Spends a lot of time after gigs talking to everybody. We spoke to him a couple of times. Spoke to him actually at the pilot. And you you could kind of see what it meant sort of coming back and playing after that long away. So yeah, it was really nice guy. Um, Great band. So watch them live. Yeah, so my recommendation is go and listen to Death Blooms. And if you're going to download go and check them out, or if you spot that they're on tour, go and give them a watch. Yeah, they play Saturday on the... I can't remember what stage they're on. I want to say Dogtooth. Might be wrong. Um, The latest album they've got out is Life is Pain, which we have a wonderful copy on vinyl uh, that Paul kindly signed for us. Some really great tracks on there. Yep, so Death Blooms, you can catch their second on on the Dogtooth stage on Saturday. So make sure you're there and give them a watch. And I think that pretty much wraps up the first episode. So thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly have. We'll be back with the next episode soon. If you did enjoy listening to us, please give us a like and share. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at ReadyToMoshCast. So please give us a like and a follow on there. And do get in touch if you've got any questions or if you've got any suggestions for future episodes. Make it stop, Moog.